Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to I Have a Question. First of all, I want to say thank you. I want to say the biggest thank you to everyone who subscribed and listened and was involved in um, my last podcast. It was crazy what an amazing response I got and it felt so good to put something out and to hear everybody's input. So thank you. And, um, you know, it, it definitely gave me the confidence to keep making these podcasts so welcome to episode two. Um, in the time between when the last podcast came out and uh, this podcast, I traveled home to Albuquerque, New Mexico to finish packing up my childhood home, which is selling and closing on the 18th. And that's been a really difficult experience for me. You know, it's hard to pack up all your memories and to pick out the things you want and, you know, say goodbye to the things maybe you don't have room for anymore. But it definitely got me thinking about what my next topic was going to be and led me to this question. So this week's question is, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? The hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, well, this is an interesting question. So, well... I only want to do one. Um... The hardest thing I've ever had to do was put my dog Dodger down because he was my best friend for like 14 years and I got him when I was seven and all I ever wanted was a puppy and I, I would ask everybody and my grandpa would like push my dad like he wants a dog get him a dog and my dad would be like no I don't I don't want to take care of it and then what ends up happening both times with both with both dogs is that my dad is the one that always ends up doing the most work but um but yeah, Dodger ended up being my dude, and uh, he was the runt, and we picked him up in somewhere outside of L.A., and and uh, he rode home on my lap the whole way back. And yeah, I miss him a lot, and that was tough. The hardest thing that... The hardest decision I've ever had to make was deciding to find a better home for my dog, which was my first dog of having like a, a pet that wasn't involved with my mom or dad, not a family dog. So I got a Doberman, a very handsome, big, hyper Doberman for my ex-boyfriend for my birthday. And um, when we decided to part ways, I was had to make the decision to find a better home for him because um, I couldn't afford or had the time to take care of him, which was really heartbreaking because I had had him for a year. And it was harder than any breakup I've ever gone through, but I ended up, find, ending up, it ended, wow, ended up finding him a much better home um, of two amazing people that have other Dobermans that work from home and spoil him every day. And he has like multiple costumes and bones and homemade food and I get to visit him he lives on Melrose and La Brea he's killing it but um it definitely still hurts whenever I see like the girl that I gave him to and a selfie of him and her it like makes me get a little teary-eyed because I'm like I'm his I'm his real mom it's, it sounds silly but like just finding my passion or my career path um I feel like I've tried experiencing different things and trying to learn about different things and I feel like still to this day I have no clue where my life will go 
and I don't know, I think right now it's like I'm in this part of my life where there's a decision to be made and I cannot figure it out. So that's probably what I'm dealing with the hardest. And I think as time goes on, I lose my confidence in picking whatever I need to or falling into it. And so then I get really down. I quit drinking two weeks ago. So the past two weeks, it's been really, really hard for me not to go out and drink or have drinks with my friends, especially since they all are heavy drinkers. So anytime I go out to eat with them or anytime I'm hanging out with them, all they want to do is drink and I just have to sit there. And every day, that's all I think about is just like, oh, a beer or something sounds really, really nice right now. But I just have to have the willpower to not, you know, give up and be strong. And Do your friends know you're not drinking? I haven't really told any of them. I'm trying not to make a big deal out of it, you know. Um, I don't know, I, cause I feel like if I told them, they'd probably give me crap about it or be like, or if I start drinking, get mad at me. And I, I don't know. I've heard if you're, you get more success out of something, if you don't make a big deal out of it and you just do it rather than telling everybody you're doing it. The hardest thing I've ever had to do was actually, um, destroy my career and the relationships involved in order to be happy because the track of finding success in my art was actually sacrificing my happiness and I only saw a very um, bleak future and possibly um, a really unhappy life ahead of me. How did you destroy them? I had to be truthful. And in the end, that sacrificed a lot of personal friendships and relationships within those friendships. In eighth grade, my mom's husband was having an affair with her best friend. And I knew. I, well, I, I didn't know the whole time, but... I saw it, I thought, but I was young, I was like 13. How old are you in eighth grade, 13? 12, 13, I was 13. And I could like see weird things happening, but I didn't really know what was going on until one day I actually caught them, like saw them. I didn't catch them, I didn't like call them out on it. But I saw them, and I think telling my mom was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do because him and I already had a terrible relationship and she knew I hated him, so I didn't want her to think I was just telling her to be a pain in her ass, just to lie about it. But at the same time, and then it was also like, that's my mom. Like, I don't want to be the one to tell her that, but I had to tell her that because that's just something you have to tell your mom. The hardest thing I ever had to do was break up with someone I still loved. Um, <laughs> It had been a long time coming. It took me about like a year and a half, but I just knew it wasn't right anymore. And I knew that if I didn't break up with him, he was gonna continue to use me as a scapegoat for his own personal happiness, which wasn't okay with me. So finally, like I got to the point where I was having nightmares and like just stressing myself to the point where I was sick over it. And I would talk to my friends and I would talk to my family and 
at a certain point, people got sick of me and got sick of hearing me talk about this over and over. So I just got drunk one night and did it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's all it took. Um, the hardest thing I've ever had to do is move my stuff out of an ex-boyfriend's place. It uh, was a really abusive relationship that centered a lot around drugs. And uh, it was the night before 420. And I went to take all of my stuff, including a bong I had bought him. Don't lie. Who took you to take all of your stuff? You took me. I didn't. I didn't know if you wanted to remain objective or out of it. No, so, no, you can, you so can my my best there. my best friend Rosebell, whose podcast this is, took me while he was out playing a show to get my stuff from his place. Because and the reason we broke up is because I had caught him cheating on me, but that was like the last straw after verbal abuse and a relationship centered around drugs and some light shoving and so forth and uh and we went and um it was yeah it was the night before 420 and uh, I bought him a bong earlier that year for his birthday a really nice one and and I brought my crappier one that was at my place to leave for him because I didn't want him to be without a bong on 420 even though this boy had ruined my life, stolen money from me, cheated on me. And uh, I tried to leave him a note and you, Roosevelt, wouldn't let me because you said he didn't deserve a note. He doesn't deserve anything. And uh, looking back, it's this really funny moment to see how wrapped up we were, I was in well, this we were struggling we were physically struggling over a bong we were physically fighting over like, a she bong was, she was like pulling the bong I was like Hannah <laughs> you can't oh wait I'll have to bleep that out it's fine I was like you can't <laughs> leave this bong and she's like but he needs a bong and I was like this dude has cheated on you and ruined your life and is like the reason why you're about to just have to later on go to rehab and like leave college fool does not need a bong yeah so I didn't end up leaving him a bong or a note or anything I just took my stuff and left and in that moment it was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do because not leaving him this bong not giving him something of mine was like it's what I had been doing for the past three years I had just been giving and giving and giving so it was this first time I ever said no it was the first time I ever didn't leave him anything it was the first time I stood up for myself in this very small way because you physically restrained me and wouldn't let me leave the bong. But yeah, that was, that was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do. Um, I'd say the hardest thing I ever had to do um, was taking my dad off life support with my brother. And it was hard for, obviously, I mean, the obvious reasons, but there's a number of reasons in the fact that my dad and I weren't that close at that time we had actually gotten into a massive fight like before um like a year before because we shared a birthday and i called my dad on his birthday to tell him 
happy birthday because, you know, he wouldn't have called me on my birthday. So I called him to tell him happy birthday, and he was just like, Claire, my favorite show's on. I can't talk to you right now. And I was like, all right, well, you know, have a good one. And so obviously choosing to, feeling like being a child and feeling like you have somebody's life in your hands um, is overwhelming in a lot of ways, clearly. <laughs> but it was also the fact that, like, we never had the opportunity to have, like, a good relationship um, prior to that. We tried, but he was just, I mean, he just wasn't really um, open to it. So I, it was kind of weird because it felt like, I mean, I felt a lot, obviously, about it, but um, it was definitely, definitely the hardest thing I ever had to do. But I think I made the right choice because he was such like a free spirit and a, um, he would have lived like a vegetable. He was in a motorcycle accident and he severed his spinal cord. So he would have been completely a vegetable and hooked up to life support almost his entire life. So not only could we not afford <laughs> to keep him alive, which was a factor, but um, I don't think he would have wanted to like exist that way. So. It was what, last summer, summer 2015. Um, Grandfather's been had been sick with uh, kid, he had, was in stage five kidney renal failure. Um, they've been fighting various cancers over the past five six years, um, and for the past twelve years, every summer we've been taking fishing trips. Um, and last summer, I had just moved from New Orleans to Los Angeles. And I just started working at studio, and it's a job that you know requires the grind. It requires putting in a lot of time, and I was still new there. And basically, the decision was I had to work, or I had to take off time and go on the fishing trip, and you know kind of lose my footing at the job that I just started. Um, and I chose to work because at the time it seemed like the best decision for me and my future. Um, and now, retrospectively, it was his last fishing trip Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. I wanted to give you the heads up that the next story is an intense one. It touches on both the subjects of losing a parent and assisted suicide. If this is something that makes you uncomfortable or you'd prefer not to listen to, I highly suggest you jump forward to 23 minutes, which is my story and the closing statements of the podcast. Thanks. When I was 18 years old, I was notified a couple of weeks after my freshman year of college had started that my mom had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And they actually waited to tell me. I went on a camping trip with some friends in Colorado and I saw my mom right before I left. And she said, I hope you have a really good time. Can't wait to see you when you get back. Enjoy yourself. So 
I got back from the camping trip and they broke the news to me. And I wasn't sure if they were telling the truth or not about the fact that the doctor didn't give her a timeline, which made things super mysterious and really, it made it a lot more difficult for it to grasp, like more intangible in a way, because I thought that they had told her a timeline and she didn't want to tell me, but she seemed like herself that she was not sure and that they did not tell her. So despite the fact that I'm sure that her disease was progressing at the time, she actually convinced me to go away to college. I would call her at least once a week and I would talk to her and she would tell me that everything was fine and that things were going really well and that they were making sure that she was getting the right treatments and that things were looking up. And um, that continued for a really long time up until, all the way up until spring break when um, I came home and my mom couldn't get out of the recliner in the living room. And she said, I want you to know that I entered a hospice program yesterday and that I've begun a morphine regimen. And this is the hardest thing, this is the hardest thing that I've ever asked you to do. But I'd really like for you not to go back to school next week. And um, I said, okay. And it was actually the easiest choice that I've ever made. I didn't think about it. Um, I didn't give it a second thought. I, I was sure that it was an accurate gauge of what was happening. And um, I spent the next two months feeding her, changing her diapers. been playing her the guitar in the afternoons. And um, one day, she, she turned to me and she said, I really want you to read this book. And it's by a really special group of people called the Hemlock Society. And um, I opened up the inside cover of the book and there was a passage about how if you do not believe that you are the master of your fate, then you should close this book immediately. And the book was about humane assisted suicide. And I read it, and I really appreciated what I had to say, but um, nonetheless, I was pretty against the idea at the time. And I think initially, anybody probably would be. So um, after, after a few weeks of deliberation um, and, and everybody in the household, including my mother, changing their minds a few times about the decision, we finally got the materials necessary for doing so, which was uh, a very old barbiturate.
that was no longer recommended by physicians but used to be used for a sleep aid. And so, um, about a week before what was what should have been finals week for me, and what was a few weeks also a few weeks before my 19th birthday, I pulled up to the pharmacy in my truck and uh, with my mom's credit card and with her medical information, I was actually able to go into the store and get the drugs necessary for her to end her own life. And so, um, about a week later, we, uh, we told the hospice nurse that my mom was feeling better and that we weren't going to need her the next day. And, uh, we invited some people over and we lit a bunch of candles and we went around in a circle in the living room. And my mom first told us how much she loved us and how much she appreciated us. And then we in turn went around in a circle and told her how much we appreciated her and how we were going to continue living on, honoring her memory. and honoring the way that she viewed life and the way that she loved life. And um, that evening, we, uh, we took the pills and we broke them up into a, a bowl of her favorite yogurt. And we said our goodbyes and we left the bowl of yogurt in her room next to her nightstand. And uh, I just remember she was so lucid because before I hugged her goodnight, she, uh, she looked at me straight in the eye and she was even sitting up in bed at this point. And she said, I've just never imagined a scenario where it was okay with me to leave you. And I told her that it was all right and that it wasn't gonna be too long before I saw her next. And we hugged and we said goodnight. What's the hardest thing I've ever had to do? <laughs> In a lot of ways, I almost feel like recording this podcast has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do because it forced me to really look back on the last year and a half of my life and try to single it down to one thing. I mean, my mom passed away suddenly and violently. Um, I had to move home for like seven months to deal with that. I, um, you know, had to make the decision to sell my childhood home to pay off some of her debts. I left a job that I had been intensely involved with for many years. And I mean, countless other little things happen along the way. And, you know, it was interesting because while 
so when I did the first podcast, it was so easy for me to just like do it and cut it and get it out and be excited. And it didn't take any like extraneous effort. This one, I felt like I was just dragging my feet on the whole editing process. And I feel like the reason why that was, was because it was really forcing me to not only listen to these intense stories from people who I love really dearly, but it was also forcing me to meditate and think about a lot of things that have happened to me over the last year and a half and kind of come to terms with them. So in a really roundabout way, instead of highlighting on one of the things that has happened in the last year and a half, um, I wanted to tell a story about one of the hardest decisions I had to make, and that was the decision to drop out of college. So about three years ago, I was living in New Orleans, going to Loyola, New Orleans, living with my two best friends, having the time of my fucking life, and it was in New Orleans that I had found my love for the music industry and had started working under uh, someone who became, you know, one of my greatest mentors and had kind of gotten a taste for tour management and artist management and figured out what I wanted to do. Well, during that period of time, I left that first opportunity and I was kind of freelancing and I decided to go out to L.A. and do a little bit of networking during the summer before my uh, junior year because I didn't have anything else going on. I had left this job and I was kind of bored. So I went out and I was networking and um, I actually met um, I met my, my, you know, first real client, Chanel West Coast. And I met Chanel at a party and her day-to-day manager at the time was one of my mentors and uh she was signed to young money and it was the summer that wayne was on tour and she needed somebody to go with her on the wayne tour and so my mentor asked if i wanted to go and i was like hell yeah she's awesome and this is amazing and i'd love it so i went on the wayne tour with her and that turned into the wayne tour into the vmas into a birthday celebration in Vegas into it being the week before I had to return back to college. So, you know, I went to Chanel and her manager, Rich, and I was like, hey guys, you know, thanks so much for the opportunity. I'll be, uh, I'll be, you know, out of college in a couple of years. Like, let's talk. I'd love to come back. And they both were like, wait, what? You're leaving? You can't leave. And offered me a full-time position. Now, in a sense, this was a dream because I'd always wanted to live in L.A., I'd always wanted to work in music, and all of a sudden this great job, the stable job, fell into my lap, but obviously to do that I was going to have to leave college, and I was scared because I think that, you know, we're raised from such a young age to feel like if you don't go to college, you're not going to make it, and you need a college education, and all people care about is, like, where you've been and how smart you are, and so, you know, I had this great school. I had an awesome scholarship, and I knew that once I left, it was going to be really hard to go back, and it was really difficult because I just, I talked to everybody about it. I talked to my dad about it. I talked to my friends about it. I talked to everybody I could, and I felt like nobody wanted to, to really give me a yes or no answer on whether or not I should do it because nobody wanted to be responsible if I was unhappy with the decision I made. Um, and I remember kind of my big pivotal moment was, uh, you know, I talked to my dad and my dad had been like, I think you should go for it. 
he, he had been a little bit more definite. He was like, if you know, you want to work in music, this is what you want. Like a lot of kids come out of college and they don't have job opportunities. You have a job opportunity right now. Like you've always wanted to live in LA, do it, go to LA. And, you know, but other people were saying other things and the school wasn't totally, you know, like they were supportive, but they were also kind of tentative. And I remember, you know, it was coming up on like a couple days before school started and like I really had to make a decision. And I was by myself sitting on the beach in Venice Beach and I called up my roommate Chaz, who was my roommate then and still is my roommate now, which is kind of an amazing story within itself. And I called Chaz and I was like, what should I do? I'm scared. Like, I'm scared to leave my friends. I don't know a lot of people out here. I'm scared to drop out of college. I'm scared I'm making the wrong decision. And Chaz was just like, you know, I support you and just follow your heart. And no matter what, you're going to figure it out. And so that same day, I emailed my school and I took a leave of absence. And uh, Chaz packed up most of my stuff into boxes and we found a sub leaser for my room in New Orleans and he shipped me my stuff and and I moved to LA without a place to live or any savings but I did have a job and I figured it out and I mean like sometimes I think that I do I don't regret the decision but sometimes it makes me sad because I wish I could have graduated and I wish I could have kind of like finished out that time in New Orleans because it was really carefree and I never really appreciated how carefree college is but in another sense it's like you know it gave me a two-year head start on my career and allowed me to build a brand and really find myself in the field that I want to spend the rest of my life in um, but needless to say it was a really hard decision now that being said thank you so much for listening um, and thank you so much to my friends for letting me ask you this hard question and for telling me your stories and opening up to me and sharing with me. Um, you all mean so much to me and I love and appreciate you so much. Uh, stay tuned. The next episode will be coming out in the next couple weeks. I think it's going to be a little bit more lighthearted than this one. But regardless, thank you for listening. You guys are amazing. I hope you have a fantastic couple weeks. And uh, thanks for listening to I Have a Question.